You're very welcome to season two of Taste, our podcast that focuses on food and culture on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, why do we call it Taste? Well, if you're from the west of Ireland or you grew up with somebody from the west of Ireland, you'll know that they typically put an H in between an S and a T in their speaking language. Used in a sentence, would you stop? I love the taste of this roast. It's mighty like. Kind of like that. So we're kicking off season two of Taste in Grand Style with the raconteur known as Malachi McCourt. Now, Malachi's been on social media the last few weeks saying that his hospice care ends on November 9th, so he better hurry up and die. And I'm pleased to tell everybody that as of this podcast airing, the man is very much alive and stirring things up as usual. Without further ado, here's Malachi McCord. All right, everybody. Well, on this latest episode of Taste, I've said this before, but this is the truth. This is literally a man that needs no introduction at all. He has written 10 books, radio host, actor, gubernatorial candidate. The list goes on and on. I am so honored to have Malachi McCourt uh, on this podcast for Taste, and we are going to be talking about a ton of things, I'm sure, including his uh, his book that was published not long ago, Death Need Not Be Fatal. So welcome, Malachi. And thank you, Mike. <laughs> it's grand to be talking to yourself. Yeah. It's grand to be talking to you, anybody, any <laughs> day, and thank you. <laughs> well, you know what? A lot, you know, let, let's get to the... Uh, what I loved about your book and, and your intention of the book was to destigmatize the conversation we have around death. And I've just loved watching you on Facebook, almost joking about the fact that you're running out of hospice care. So that means you better die by November 9th. <laughs> so I was thinking to myself, you know, if I interviewed him now, and what if he does die? I'd be the last person. I'd have the last major interview with Maliki. That could that could blow up my journalistic career. That would be literally the last word. <laughs> the last word. <laughs> well, actually, you know, actually, I'm really excited to talk to talk to you, Maliki, because you know, you and I have known each other for years. But I think most of the time that we've met with one another, it's at an Irish American writers and artists thing or yes. some sort of a cocktail party, that kind of thing. And, you know, one of the things I've always wanted to ask you was, you know, you started off, you're such an amazing writer and such an inspiration to so many of us. But in fact, you didn't start off as a writer. You started off as an actor. So one of the questions I always wanted to ask you was, how did the theater and acting form how you wrote? The acting business that was one of those accents, accidents. Also, it was um, I was I I was a longshoreman, and I used to in the in the fifties, and I was loading and unloading cargo, and that was it. And I have no training as an actor. I, I have no education. I left school when I was thirteen. But I have been an omnivorous reader most of my life. So that has gotten me into, it got me into civilized society, really. Because if you can uh, somehow or another sound like you're grammatically correct, 
10 people saying that you're educated. And I don't know anything about grammar. My, I, um, I, I just, I just use words by ear and somehow or another, it's almost like listening to music. I know, I know a wrong note when I hear it, but I can't tell you why. So I don't know anything about uh, adverbs or pronouns or whatever they have in the way of, of literature, in the way, way of grammar. So when I went to, uh, when I was working on the docks, I used to go to the theatre. And at that time, there was a group called the Irish, Irish, Irish Theatre. Yeah, it was Irish Theatre. And I saw that they had three one-night plays by John. Millington Singh. So I went, and then I walked out of that uh, theater, and I, my head was singing with the glory of the words of John Millington Singh. And I'm walking down 60th Street, and there was a uh, one of those uh, one of those places uh, that had uh, that sold hamburgers, uh, Rikers. I was going to walk in there, but I didn't. I, my body turned around, went back to the theater. And there was a guy hanging up some posters there. And I said, could I speak to the boss? He said, I'm the producer. I said, I'd like to join your group. Oh, he said, what do you mean? I said, I'd like to join your acting group. He said, do you have any experience? I said, no, but I don't need it. I'm Irish. And he laughed and said, uh, do you have uh, any pictures? And I said, yes, I have a picture of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in my wallet. And he came there. He said, I said all right. He said, uh, what, uh, what makes you think you could be an actor? I said, I just want to be. He said, will you come back and read for us? And I said, of course. I thought it was a literacy test, you see. And uh, so... The following Sunday, I came back and I read, which was auditioning, really. And there was somebody my age that time, I was in my early 20s, leaving the cast. So they put me right in there. I'd never been on the stage in my life in the sense of acting. But anyway, I got in there. And then uh, the next thing is I ran for several months. Then I got into Playboy the Western World, got my first review in the New York Times. Brooks Atkinson was a famous critic, and he wrote, Malachi McCourt was excellent as a pusillanimous lover. I had to look up pusillanimous. I'd never seen that word before. I was just about to do that too. Yeah. <laughs> So there you got it. It just means a tentative sort of fellow. So anyway, that was my first review, and I got uh, I didn't do too bad at all. So anyway, what did the, the, the being in the acting then was it led me to go reading about more theater and so on. Now my brother Frank, of course, was an English teacher, and he was like me. He had no formal education and sense of he left school when he was 13, but then faked his way into NYU and got himself a degree, uh, a bachelor's, and then he got a, doc a, a master's. 
and he was studying for his doctorate, but he never did get to end that. But it was the reading got us to where we were, where we are, and that, that well, is it. Well, one of the things that you know, and this is this was such a defining moment in my literary career that you were part of, and you may not even remember it, but um, we were at an Irish American Writers and Artists Salon, and I had written, I had read from my book. Yeah, and you had said, book. and you had said, see what he did there. He wrote a book, but then when he read from, the, he didn't read from the book. He performed the book. Yeah, you know, and it was it was such an acknowledgement only because I watched you do that. So for you to acknowledge me doing what I learned from you was <laughs> was really an amazing. I'm serious. It was an amazing yeah. moment for me. And, and, and that's why, you know, anytime I've seen you read anything, you could tell the difference between an author and an author who's been on the stage. It's just the way you project it and the way, and, and then, you know, like it's, and I find for me anyway, that having a, a little bit of acting, but not as much as you by any stretch of the imagination, but just in terms of our ability to write dialogue and put characters together, I, I've, I've always found that to be interesting to talk to uh, authors that acted first. It's uh, Mike. It's a matter of um, get to the what is really before writing. There was talking. And therefore, what people did was they sat around the fire in Ireland and many, many thousands and thousands of fireplaces, people sitting there, and they told the story. They did not read it. Do you know when people are, um, they think they have, to, they read and they want to get to, there's only one word at a time. And it is obligatory, to my opinion, tell the story. Or to put it more bluntly, tell the fucking story. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And, it, uh, and that's what it is. And I keep telling people, tell me the story. It is important. You don't read. Now, people talk about your parents reading to their children. And my parents used to read to me when other people and the reason why that worked was that they were so boring to put the kid to sleep. And that's <laughs> that groaning voice, me, 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 me. Whereas if you tell them the story, they don't go to sleep. Yeah. That is it. So that's that people think they're 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 telling a story when they're literally just just uh, reading. And that says allowed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I've been re I've been teaching these memoir writing classes, and the first thing that I usually start off with is I ask the question, "Why haven't you written anything by now?" Yeah, you're at what age you're at, and the number one thing that usually happens is you pretend you don't have the time to do it, but then the second thing is you have about a confidence where you're like, "Was anybody read this?" Blah blah blah. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, you you almost have like vowel constipation. You literally have W's and G's stuck in your colon. You just got to crap it out and tell the story to your point. 
just tell the story, you know, and let an editor figure out the make it all flowery and grammatical. But a, a good storyteller, you just got to get the story out, right? That's it. Have a ball movement. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a nickel for every time i use that because i'm gonna use that a lot <laughs> no shit <laughs> no shit <laughs> a vowel movement oh i'm teaching a class on thursday i'm gonna i am gonna drop that into the conversation somehow some way um that's the main thing mike is to really if you don't enjoy your work if you're if it's painful for you to uh, communicate it, read it, or whatever you you do, uh, just relax. People always here's here's thing about sharing your 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 work, your literary work. People want to hear you tell the story, and particularly, you know, in our Irish writers, we are a generous, open. And and we don't want you. That kind of stuff is so it gets people going to the lavatory and and so speaking of, we seem to be on a on a kick here about lavatory. But uh, it is it is that people don't 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 tell the story and that's that is it. Just take it easy. Have mm. fun with it. Enjoy the story. Tell it, tell it to yourself. As exactly. if you've never heard it before, and be uh, be kind, be expressive, and just and if it amuses you, laugh, smile. If it calls for tears, you can adopt uh, Dolores tone, and uh, so there we are. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about the Irish American writers and artists because that's actually not something that I don't think is on your Wikipedia page. But when I think about you being one of the founding fathers of that. Um, I tell anybody that will listen, if you're on a, if you're out in New York City on a Tuesday night, there's no better place to go than the Irish American writers and artists, because at any one time, there's a guy trying to figure out a song, there's a guy trying to figure out, uh, there's a guy trying to figure out a, uh, a bit of play that they're, you know, a, a bit of a manuscript for a play that they're, that they're trying to just get wrestled down to the ground, or it could be a you know somebody that's launched a new book, and it's a place where creatives can just feel free to maybe not even have the book published, but try it out and find out where the audience laughs and where it doesn't. And my, so I'm just sharing that for anybody that doesn't know about the Irish and artist, Irish American writers and artists. But my question specifically to you is, when you have people like Larry Kerwin, or you have people like Colin Broderick, or you have people so many people that I that I can't even name all of them that really had found their first audience in the Irish American writers and artists. Do you ever let it in just what kind of an impact you've had on that? Like, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's been, you know, Larry Kerwin writing a play and having that on Broadway and he brought, he brought that sketch of a of a Broadway musical to the Irish American writers and artists. So I've always related to that as every time Larry has a win like that, we've won. And, and have you ever have you ever let that in or have thought about the impact you've had 
just putting a an organization like that together? Well, it was um, the beginning was T.J. English and Peter Quinn and uh, Ashley Davis, right? And uh, putting our heads and with, with uh, legal advice from Stephen Fearon. But we, do you know what it is, Mike? When I am at a Irish Writers. And I'm on the on the program. I'm like anybody else. I get my ten minutes, and and that's it. And uh, so I, when I'm writing, when you start writing, we're all exactly in the same place. We're all putting down a word, and it's only a word at a time. Writing, it's a word at a time. Speaking. And putting those uh, and then sharing it, it is as well to be aware that we're 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 it's it it's like I always think crossing a stream, and there are uh, rocks there and and you can't see them, but you your foot has to find them, so you step on a rock, and then you step on that and then you go to the next. That's how words are. Each one is a rock. Each word is a rock. So, but you don't have to spend time on it. You see, you go for it. You do, and and your own your own sense of rhythm. And if you are enjoying your work, I mean, I say how about radio? I've been on it now for years and years. I say I can't wait to hear what I have to say next. I'm very impatient about that, and I do. And then, but I have fun. Have fun with the language, either writing or talking. That was actually a, that was actually a question I had for you because you know we could spend four hours on a podcast talking about your writing, but you've also been a theater actor, you've been a TV actor, you're also a radio host. So each one of those modalities are for storytelling, aren't they? And yeah, they my are. question yeah. to you would be. Which of the one, if you had to pick your top one or two, which ones would those be? Well, I'm not, uh, I would say, in the acting, it's a very, very fine art, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not trained and so on. But I like to watch good acting, and uh, I, when I do get an acting job, I try and do my best to get into the character and all that. But uh, the, the broadcast... I started that in 1970, oh God, uh, five, I think it was. No, that, was that WOR? No, that was WMCA. MCA, yeah. Yeah, it was the first talk show, all yep. talk. Yeah, so it was a call-in and that kind of thing. And I'd never been on the radio. I, I had been interviewed a couple of times, but I didn't know what it was about. But then I was thrown into to it, and I was given four hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday evening there. And that lasted for seven years. And I had a great time. And there were people like Bob Grant and all the, on the station, all very experienced broadcasters. So I, I just listened and figured out what is, what is it would keep somebody listening to me? And it is, again, a, tell the story 
and that's it. So I got a reputation for that, and yeah. I, I liked it. Well, this, this <clears throat> what you've been saying in terms of all these opportunities you've had, and you weren't formally trained in writing or in radio or in TV acting or anything else like that. It reminds me of something that my grandmother, God rest her, who was a Limerick woman, uh, county Limerick woman, Bally Landers. Oh, she, good would, she would say, I never went to school, but I met the scholars on the way out the door. We are, yeah, that's right. We used to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, speaking, yeah. speaking of, uh, you know, heritage and whatnot, I, I have to say, you know, and I, I, I was blessed to, to be able to tell your brother this. I picked up a pen because of Frank. When I read Angela's Ashes, I thought, okay, not that I could write it that well, but it just, it was such a, he told it almost from a childlike voice. And I thought I could do that. There was just something, I can't even describe it. There was something I said to myself, I can do that. But anyway, I've said that often times, and I've said that in the presence of my mother, also from Valley Landers. And she has said, oh, that's not the way it was, blah, 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 blah. And I said that to your brother once, and you probably would have the same reaction. Your brother said, you know, your mom came to America and she has a romantic view of what Ireland was. And very few people that have been over from Ireland 50 years don't want to face the fact that that was a really hard upbringing, you know? And and I I, I found that, you know, even your quote on, the ancient order of Hibernians, where you said that they're <laughs> Ireland's, what did you call them? Ireland's. I, my point of the question is, I think that sometimes you, yourself, certainly, and your brother, and I've always been known for telling the Irish as it was, not the Maureen O'Hara sanitized <laughs> version of what they Quiet, might remember. Man. Does that yeah. does that make sense? It does, yeah. It uh, people romanticize it, and uh, and we, when we grow up, we don't want to remember the pain of poverty, or death, or disease. It was, I mean, my uh, three of my my uh, my two brothers, boy, twin boys, died. My sister died. Um, I had uh, 11 of my classmates died. And so there was that constant thing. We were, Frank said, we belonged to the death of the month club. And it was, uh, we were constantly getting days off for a uh, half day off for a funeral, for funerals. And, and people do, it was, uh, I mean, I, I was just telling some people here today, Emmanuel Cooney, a doctor here, an eye doctor. His father was from Limerick. And uh, anyway, he wanted to meet with me. So we met. We had a nice uh, breakfast here today. But he, I was telling them about Mrs. Lillis and Mrs. Ryan, where Mrs. Lillis was coming up the lane, Mrs. Ryan was coming down. I was coming out my door. And I hear Mrs. Ryan saying, to Mrs. Lillis, do you know who died? <gasps> no, says Mrs. Ryan. Mr. King down the lane. <gasps> and what did he die of? Oh, it was nothing serious. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
that that's the way they look at it. It's, it's just you invest in it, all of it, no matter what it is, whether it's your tenants still or somebody dying, you must have the details and yeah. your opinion of them. Yeah. And there it is. In terms of your book, Death Need Not Be Fatal, what was the reaction to that? Because I think, again, your intention was to open up the dialogue about dying because people are so, you know, it's such an avoidance, right? Or it's, it's, oh, yeah. or, or well, you know, they find out you're in hospice, they might not even call you because they either they don't want to intrude, but more importantly, they don't want to face their own mortality. And again, I, I really loved the title, the premise, what you were out to set out. What was the reaction of the book when it came out? Well, it was very strange because, as you know, Mike, the avoidance of it here, there's, uh, I have, uh, I think it's a hundred and, oh, almost 200 euphemisms for death. People, I always think, oh, people don't die here. They pass away. They leave us with the Lord in the arms of Jesus. They bought the farm, kicked the bucket, <laughs> and all, all, all hundreds of euphemism. But, but the fact is that somebody dies. He died. He didn't pass away. And he didn't pass because who's going to clean it up? And so it's uh, there is that avoidance of the actuality of it. Whereas if you get to the I say he died, that's it. And uh, you, uh, you, they die, they die, and they bury them, and that is it. And they're gone. They're, they say they're gone. You know, he's gone now, passed away, no longer with us, and so forth. So my brothers died, <laughs> and uh, lots of my friends have died, and they, no, they don't pass. <laughs> that's it. So the avoidance of, as you said, is the avoidance of the actuality of. Death is, and to me, it's the end of it because I'm an atheist, thank God, and uh, <laughs> we uh, we we leave we leave it at that. We leave them when they're dead, they're dead under the ground, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that 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 for the atheist, you definitely know where you're going. You're dying. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> your life stops here. That's it. <laughs> We'll be right back after these messages. Taste Season 2 is sponsored by the good folks at Career Letters, careerletters.com. They specialize in professional branding, resume writing, LinkedIn optimization. And what a perfect time to be looking at your career, your resume, your LinkedIn profile. Is it all optimized to find that next career of your dreams? We're heading into the final months of the year. This is the time to be looking for a job now so that you can actually find and land the job of your dreams next year. Visit careerletters.com for more information. All right, and we're back with the raconteur, Maliki McCord. I have a question for you since this is taste. This actually started out as a food podcast, but it's now become more taste in term taste in terms of you know, just taste and culture. So yeah, I, I would I would ask you, since I know you, um, you know, you've been blessed with grandchildren and your children, 
Um, what are some things or are there some things that you either make, order in or whatever that, you know, are, are favorite foods that might remind you of growing up in Ireland or, or things that you might do as fa a family to keep the Irishness alive in your family? Well, it's um, there are some aspects of being Irish that are that have come about in reaction to being occupied for uh, almost a thousand years by the Brits. So their objective, wherever they've gone, is to make uh, the subjugated peoples look up to them, that they're the ultimate in everything, taste and education and uh, training and uh, respect. and. Uh, respect for authority, which is them, you see. So the thing is this, they have, they've underneath then we have been an angry, subjugated people, and that uh, we have taken that out on each other as well as on, uh, as well as on our, our oppressors. So the thing is this, uh, Oscar Wilde said, forgive your enemies, it annoys them. <laughs> and uh, what I do is I just, I I don't forgive or not forgive. I don't, I have, I just take away from, uh, totally dismiss them as a, um, as anything to aspire to in my life. And the only thing that I, uh, that I am grateful for is the, um, that they, they did, they gave us the English language. But they didn't uh, tell it. They didn't want us to use it in any way because we have many times used it against our oppressors, and they absolutely and they do hate us for that. But we have taken in it, and all the great Irish writers, uh, from from uh, Jonathan Swift up to Oscar Wilde and Yeats and Beckett or Casey, they are all. Protestant, with the exception maybe of Joyce. But that's an interesting sort of thing to me, and I don't know why it is that the Catholics didn't, generally speaking, did not pick the language. And they, and they're funny enough, the Protestants, they use it uh, cleverly against, against the Brits. And it, 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 it uh, that fascinates me. So I'm I'm imitating them as much as possible. I love satire. I don't I don't like jokes particularly. They're not very funny, and people can't tell them. But good satire is good for me. Yeah. So, what would I, what would I say about uh, Irishness? Uh, they, I think I think you said kind of a mouthful already, right? It it yeah. <laughs> such a, that was such an interesting perspective about it. So, I have, yeah. so then, is that taking everything you just said? Is there something you've you feel like maybe I've instilled that? That's what Irishness is. Yeah. Not the diddly diddly. So, do you feel like you've instilled that with your kids and your grandkids? Well, it's um, uh, expressing. Uh, I think it's you need to be free you know, as children or. Uh, my, my, I love it when my uh, 
my children and grandchildren came up with uh, an interesting or a, an original phrase or something, any kind of wit I, I'm appreciative of. And uh, so, and that that is one of the things about, you know, the Swifts and the, <laughs> and, and the Wild. I mean, very, very clever, funny people, and yet not very happy. Yeah. Somewhere, but yeah. Well, that uh, that that's a comedian's that's a comedian's joke, isn't it? It's it's mm -hmm. uh that there's no great comedy without pain and unhappiness. That that's that's sort of the the mulch of good comedy sometimes, isn't it? Not a prerequisite, yeah. but it's definitely uh in the roots of a lot of comedy for sure. We do have a great deal of compassion in the sense, but we we generally we we're embarrassed about showing it in a way. Yeah, that's another thing. It's uh, that's we don't want them to see them, you know, the ubiquitous them, to see that we are suffering or, or that we're going to respond to a cruelty, uh, a viciousness with uh, likewise cruelty. We don't, we we can't do that. It's not not in our nature. We're yeah. a compassionate people, and that's what I like about in a in a many many ways. Yeah. Well, one of the things I just, you know, again, talk about your big heart and your compassion, you know, going to see Paradise Square, Larry Kerwin's, Larry Kerwin's musical that we were just so proud of him on, you know, I walked out of the lobby and there you were in your wheelchair and, yeah. you know, um, Peter Quinn's book just came out, his autobiography came out and that wheelchair was broken, but damn it, if you didn't get it to work and you went down there and you saw him, so one of the things that has just been so um, gratifying and and just thank you on on behalf of I'm sure a lot of people listening that had the experience you've been just such an amazing patron for all of us that uh, you've you've always offered to write a blurb on the back of a book or you've gone to the opening or you've gone to book signings and uh, it's it's just been you know it's just been amazing that you've supported the Irish. Irish American arts the way you have it's it's been it's been wonderful to see you at all these places and and I know it you know Colin's a friend of mine it just means so much when you do that so thank you thank you very much Mike what I say I like uh, in as the uh, people uh, in the beginning uh, the biblically you see so I read the Bible as well it's very interesting stuff uh, in the beginning was the word, but first came the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> That's what well, Bible says. In the beginning was the, word. and then what is uh, what again is fascinating. If we we should really look at at what's written because sometimes there's stuff in there that one statement will lead to a bunch of questions. So. In the beginning was the word. That's how the Bible begins. And then you say, well, then what happened? The word became flesh. That's what it says. And then we know what happened with the flesh. <clears throat> we got very, very sinful. That's what happened. Yeah. So wouldn't it have been better just to stick with the word instead of sinning? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. 
that's, that's a great way to end a podcast if ever I heard one. So uh, well, thank you very much. Malik, and thank, thank you for giving me this time. And like I said, um, what I was really looking forward to in this podcast is to get just the one-on-one -on -one time to not only ask you all those questions I always wanted to ask, but also just to really just thank you for really being you know, such a, such an influence on my life. Frank's is Frank, Frank's writing as well. And also you've been such a cheerleader of, of, of myself and every other Irish or American writer and artist that uh, has ever graced the, the organization. It, I can't tell you how much it means to us. So thank you. And you have graced the page with your wonderful writing, Mike, and keep going. It is uh, very good. Thank you very much. You have the, you have the gift. Well, my, 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 yeah, my dad, my dad said, uh, my dad, my dad was asked, what does he do for a living? I'm in sales when I'm, when I'm not doing this. And he goes, he's a bullshitter with an American Express card. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. We are with the pleasure of having Malik McCord. And if you haven't read any one of his many, many books, I believe there's 10 of them. I would highly recommend checking him out and also on WBAI with our friend John McDonough, he is. Uh, there's no 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 holding a good man down, and long may you uh, you live and prosper, my friend. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much. You. God bless on your cranium and all those you love. Amen. I could just listen to that man speak all day, and if you feel the same way, I strongly suggest that you tune in on Sundays to WBAI, that's WBAI.org, here in New York City. You can hear a show hosted by himself, Malik McCourt, as well as John McDonough, another former guest of Taste, on the Radio Free Aaron program of WBAI. This episode has been brought to you through a partnership with our friends at irishcentral.com and has been produced by the smiling voice, Barbara Farraher, my wife. I love you, honey. And we'll see you next week.